0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. And these are the words of Jesus. Thank you, Fiona. G'day, City on a Hill. It's good to see you. My name's Brenton. I'm, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm a part of the team here at our church. And the countdown to Christmas is on. Who, uh, who's willing to admit they've already started listening to some Christmas music? A lot of us. Okay. All right. We're Christmas fans. Well, on a per, uh, personal note, uh, the countdown to baby number three is on in our house. Uh, My wife is due next week. Oh, yeah, thank you. I'm doing a lot of hard work on that front, obviously. Um, She's due next week, which honestly means she's due any minute. So if uh, Ben comes running in here and waves me down and I go running out, he'll have another announcement to make, I think. But I'm really glad, uh, I'm really looking forward to opening the Bible with you today. So if you have one, uh, open it up to Matthew chapter 13, and we'll start in verse 44. And we're looking at this idea of the kingdom of heaven. Now, last week, we took a good look at this idea, the kingdom of heaven. The Bible considers it a really big deal. Uh, It shows up in the New Testament over 80 times. And it, it shows us that God has been working on his kingdom from the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden through to the Promised Land, all the way up until Jesus coming as the Saviour and Lord of this new heavenly kingdom, which will last forever. And we talked about how Jesus didn't come to lead a military to topple governments, but he actually came to build a kingdom here and now, but one that will last for eternity with him as the king. Now, this idea might... Sound every now and then, a bit abstract. But thankfully, Jesus is a master teacher and he loves to teach in parables. Now, parables are kind of interesting, right? Because they have one general message that runs through them, but it has multiple applications. Lots of different ways to apply it. So a parable is kind of like an expensive steak dinner. It needs to be savored. need to chew on it, to expose all of the wonderful flavours that are in it, getting that deep satisfaction and understanding from what they're trying to teach us. So today we're going to pull out our best steak knives and we're going to dig into Matthew chapter 13 together. But first, I'd love to pray. Heavenly Father, be with us this morning. Help us to read your word and to understand what Jesus is trying to teach us. Help us to not go too far down the road thinking that we've got this all figured out. But allow, allow us, God, to hear from your Holy Spirit, that he might speak to us and reveal to us the beauty and the majesty of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. So in the New Testament, Jesus uses somewhere between 40 and 60 parables to teach and many of the time many times when he will end his parable with a phrase that says he who has ears to hear let him hear. It's a bit of a weird phrase. He's not speaking to a bunch of earless people, but he is speaking to a group of people that he knows will some will understand what he's saying and others won't. And this is kind of the purpose of parables, parables the actually original uh, meaning of that word is to place two things side by side, usually to compare them. And so in our case, we have two parables, both about the kingdom of God, comparing it to a treasure in the field and a pearl of great price. So it makes sense that if Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, then the kingdom of heaven is a treasure. And this is a great object lesson. Jesus is great at teaching object lessons. We teach them a lot in City Kids. They're easy to understand. But Jesus decides to include people in his parables. And people are a lot less easy to understand. I know a few. They're very complex. We have issues. Me included. But why, So why does Jesus choose to include people in this story? What is he trying to get out of it? What is he trying to teach us? by including these people, especially when they do ridiculous things like sell everything that they have to get a treasure. Well, as we consider these two parables today, I want to give you three observations about the kingdom of heaven. And here's the first. The kingdom changes our values. Let's reread the first parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So what's going on here? At first glance, it might feel like Jesus is telling a story about a man who has got into some dodgy business deal and where he's trying to scam someone out of a valuable real estate piece that they didn't really know that he had. But that's actually not what Jesus is is teaching. You see, in the ancient world... There were no such things as banks or safety deposit boxes where you could keep your money. Whether you were rich or poor, you would often find a place, sometimes in a field, to bury your treasure so that it wouldn't be unfairly taxed or taken advantage of. And so this was common practice, but if you didn't tell your family where you'd buried your money, oftentimes it was like winning the lottery for an unsuspecting farm worker digging through the field and finding a big treasure box. But in this story, instead of taking the property, the man in the parable acquires the field by selling all that he has first to buy it. But Jesus also isn't teaching us a story about ethical business practices. Now, he's speaking about something way more important. Let's have a look back at verse 44. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes. Do you notice the man's emotion here? He goes with joy. And do you notice that he goes with joy without the treasure? He leaves it. He covers it up. Did he do that by mistake? Why was he going in joy without the prize that he had found? Well, whether you're a Christian or not, it's easy to think that before you receive any kind of benefit from any form of spirituality or Christianity in general, that you've got to do a certain amount of things to get, to get the benefits. You've got to read the Bible a certain amount. You've got to pray long enough. You've got to forgive enough people. You've got to clean up the mess in your life before you come to Jesus. But that's not what this parable is teaching. This parable is saying that there's actually something that happens to you before you receive the treasure. Just by seeing it, just by getting a glimpse, your desires change, your values change, and there is a noticeable difference in this man as he lays eyes on the treasure. Uh, this story kind—it of, reminds me of a time when I was in Mexico and I stumbled upon my first and probably only street taco cart. Now, I just happened to be walking down the road, and it was like almost out of the blue, this man appears behind a barbecue. And to me, it looked like he had about 100 different ingredients in front of him. He had everything from peppered flank steak to marinated chicken to fresh capsicum, green onions, slicing Monterey cheese, and throwing it all on this sizzling hot plate and stuffing it into a homemade tortilla. Am I making you hungry yet? I know I am. And even before the guy hands it to me, I'm a changed man. It was an incredible experience. And according to Jesus, it's the same with the kingdom of God. He changes us just by seeing it. But how are we changed? Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The gospel isn't just words to digest and understand, and then you get it. No, it says it comes in power. It's what led him to say later on, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So Jesus isn't just telling us a story about a man who received a prize after all the hard work that he did. No, He's saying that when you see the kingdom of heaven, it comes in power and it changes you from the inside out. It's a power that will change you not because you've earned it, but because you've seen it. And it's like when you receive that power, you can't see anything the same way ever again. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Do you see it? When you see and experience the kingdom of heaven, there's a massive power shift in your life. The things that once controlled you, the things in this world that once had power over you are now coming under a new power. The power of God, your creator. Let's look again at our second parable. Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value... Went and sold all that he had, and bought it. Now pearls back in Jesus' day were considerably, considerably valuable. In fact, no, they were actually outrageously expensive. Uh, there's a story of where Julius Caesar once uh, bought a black pearl for his mistress and paid six million sesterces for it. Now I had to do my. Um, you know, my bank equivalent here, how, how, how much is a cistercius meant in dollars? Well, six million of them, apparently, is worth about $1.5 billion for one pearl. Now, you wouldn't pay that for the most expensive diamond today, but back then, this is how rare pearls were. And we're told in this parable that it's a merchant who is searching for fine pearls. So this isn't just um, someone that has a hobby with gems. Now, this is someone that... This is his livelihood. Day to day, he was looking for the rarest, the most beautiful, the most eye-catching gems in the market. But upon finding this one pearl, just one, he decides that it's worth more than his entire pearl business. It's worth more than his possessions that he owns. It's worth more than his whole livelihood. Now, why would he sell everything that he had for this pearl? I think you know. I think you know why. You see, you and I might not be pearl merchants, but all of us are value merchants. We are constantly on the search for things that will give us great value or will be valuable for us to spend our time on. I'm not just talking about, you know, buying gems or cars or houses or Bitcoin or whatever it might be. I'm talking about the things that we choose to invest our time in, our energy our relaxation, relationships, desires. Where all of us, inherently all the time, are looking for things that might bring us some kind of enjoyment or joy or completeness or comfort. And we're always weighing this up, aren't we? Is this thing more valuable than that? Is it Netflix tonight or Disney Plus? Is it Schnitz or is it KFC? Guy's not here, so you can, you can be honest with yourself. But it's also things like, you know, do I spend time on my phone or do I invest that time with a friend? Do I give up some of my time to help invest in someone else's career or do I keep that time to myself? Do I open myself up to someone about the pain that I'm dealing with and get help or do I just keep it all in and stay safe? we 're constantly looking for things that give us a temporary fix and comparing it with things that are going to give us lasting value. but what Jesus is saying is that there 's only one thing that 's one thing that 's more valuable than all the other things you could possibly find in this world it 's the thing that 's going to last forever, and that 's his kingdom and Again, this is not just some pie in the sky idea; this happens on the ground. We heard last week that that the kingdom of heaven isn't just something that happens in the future when Jesus returns. No, it's actually something that you and I can grasp and experience, and it changes us here. And as pastor of uh, this, uh, one of the pastors of this church, I have just been so fortunate to hear so many of your stories of life change and just been in total awe of the way in which you have valued the things of Jesus over some of the things of this world even when it has cost a lot. One of you shared this story with me early this week. He said, following Jesus is a daily choice of laying down my own wants and desires, the cost to choose his kingdom over mine. It's meant surrendering to his lordship and to trust in him even when the world can't make sense of it. It meant walking away from a planned life with my ex-fiancé who was not a believer. But by doing so, I've experienced the close intimacy of walking with Jesus. It meant saying no to a job opportunity that would have freed me financially and given me more time and less stress. But by doing so, I've experienced God's faithfulness and daily provision in my own business. It has meant laying down my pride and resentment toward those that have disappointed or betrayed me and choosing to love and forgive them. And by doing so, I've experienced more deeply Christ's forgiveness and grace toward me. It has meant being rejected and ridiculed for things that I believe. And by facing these things with Jesus, I've experienced his counsel and comfort, knowing that he also suffered. There is a cost in following Jesus, but the cost is incomparable to the gain that is received in my relationship with him. It's a life of fullness and adventure. Do you see what she's seeing? She's experiencing the kingdom of heaven and how it drastically changes your worldview, how you value things, a life of comfort and ease and financial freedom, even social rejection comes secondary to being under his rule and his reign. And Jesus isn't asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done for you. But what is he asking you to do? What what does actually counting the cost look like to following Jesus? Well, let's go to the second reflection. The kingdom requires everything, but gives infinitely more. The kingdom requires everything, but gives infinitely more. one of the parts of the story I neglected to mention when I was in Mexico was the fact that I was actually there on an expired green card. I was stuck there, stranded. I was there visiting on a holiday with my wife. And um, funny thing is, when you try to go back to the US with expired paperwork, they don't let you do it. So I was asking the lady at the check-in desk, oh, how, how on earth am I going to go back and see my family? I mean, my kids are there. They're like, well the only way you can do that is if you fly to Mexico City, get an appointment at the US embassy and basically plead with them to give you a replacement card. Okay, so make this decision to send my wife home alone on a plane to see our kids. I spend the next few days stressing out over getting an appointment, staying at some shared Airbnb with people I don't know that's close enough to the embassy so I can walk there to what looks like a prison cell (laughs) to do an interview with an embassy agent. And I remember sitting in the lobby waiting for what it seemed like forever. And they call my name to the desk And they hand me this envelope and everything kind of went in slow motion. I was kind of like, (sighs) and the guy behind the desk is handing it to me. He's just like, (sighs) next, come on. But I get this envelope and I open it up and sure enough, there it is. My replacement green card, my status had changed. I was able to go home and see my family. And I was willing to do anything to get there, to be back to my family, but What's happening to these guys, these these characters in the parable? They're doing so much more. Did you hear what they said? It says in both these parables, the characters go in their joy and sell everything they owned. There was no joy in me trying to get that green card replaced. But these guys, they're giving away everything and they're experiencing joy. And this is no small thing. Like a man in the ancient world to sell everything meant that it it wasn't just some personal sacrifice. Now, this meant his whole family would feel it, that his reputation in the town would change completely. And Jesus is trying to teach something to his disciples as he's telling them this parable. In fact, he would go on more about this in Matthew chapter 16. He said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Following Jesus means denying yourself to follow him. Denying yourself, that is a scandalous idea in our society today. But what does Jesus say to his followers when they do that? He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus promises that giving everything to him, everything that you've got, not just your possessions, not just the things of this world, but your mind, your heart. No matter what happens to you in your life, you're getting infinitely more than you could ever imagine. There's another man in our church who shared his story with me earlier this week. I want to share it with you. He said Jesus has been my physical and mental lifeline in an absolutely practical way. When my wife passed away, I felt God's love being poured on me through Christian friends and family. When I've been at my lowest of lows, I still felt peace. And when I've been when I felt the most pain I've ever felt, I still hear God whispering to me, "Just get up. Just take one step. I've got plans for you." He's shown me the greatest love. He reveals to me who I am. All for the purpose of loving him more and being able to have real and caring relationships with everyone. There's been no cost in loving and trusting Jesus. Even through my wife's sickness, I don't know how we would have done it without him. But there has been a cost in following Jesus in my healing. I believe he has led me to a time of a simple, quiet life where I'm learning that Jesus is more than enough. And this is painful at times. But I feel my closeness and dependence on Jesus is growing every day. And as a result, I'm getting stronger every day because I'm not trying to do it under my own strength. I could have stayed busy and not dealt with my brokenness, but he's dealing with my broken heart and he's healing it. His love has proven to me to be more than anything I'll ever need. Following Jesus doesn't mean you won't endure pain. Or go through a trial, or that you just make a one time commitment and everything else is fine in your life from there on out. And one of the things I love about our church is how diverse our stories are of coming to know Jesus. We've got some people here that have come out of some horrific life circumstances. Some have come out of cults, some have come out of drug addiction, some people have just had dreams. And literally walked up here because they thought that there was a church in a cinema. But then there's others of us who have never known a day where they haven't known Jesus. We just heard one from Ben earlier today, and this is also a phenomenal testimony. This is the kind of story I want my kids to grow up with. And no matter whether you've been, no matter if you remember the day that you became a Christian or you don't, one thing that is certain for every Christian, myself included, is that there's always this wrestle between the current kingdom and the coming kingdom. Giving everything to follow Jesus is a daily call to obedience. And it can feel like a journey. But Jesus says that when you come into his kingdom house, that he'll take your pain and he'll provide for you more than you could ever have, that he'll carry your loss, That will fulfill every need that you didn't even know that you had. And you'll be loved more than you could ever know. The kingdom of heaven requires everything, all the time. But it gives infinitely more. And I know some of you today are here and you're exploring Christianity. Maybe you've come to our church a couple of times and you've heard about the love of Jesus. How much he's given to you how much he's died, why he's died for you. And maybe you've actually even counted up the cost of what it would look like to follow Jesus, what that would mean to your, your relationships at your workplace. And, but, but maybe there's just a little bit of fear about what comes with that. Will Jesus really be enough? And maybe you're a Christian today and you know that Jesus is enough, but in the, the life circumstances you're going through right now, you're wondering and thinking through, is this really good news for me right now? Well, I hope, I hope this parable can help us with one last observation. And that is that the king of the kingdom treasures you. So to this day, I think the, the one thing I've spent the most money on in one go were my wife's wedding rings. And I was very fortunate that when I was in uni, this was several years before I'd ever met my wife, an older man came up to me and said, Brenton, if you really think you're going to get married one day, I would start saving for that wedding ring right now because they are expensive. So uh, it was really good advice. I was in uni. I knew I was going to be in ministry, which meant I was going to be eating tuna and peanuts for most of my life. So I started doing it. $10 here, $50 there, tax return there. And after about seven years worth of savings, I was actually able to buy my wife a modest wedding ring. But I remember going to the bank and uh, getting all that money out and holding it in my hand and going, oh my gosh, I've never held this much money before. Do I really want to go through with this? (laughs) I did. I did. I went through with it. Um, And I remember even on my wedding day, you know, you have that little wedding band that you give to your best man, who's my brother, and... I told him, you've got to look after this. I've spent so much money on this thing. And it freaked him out. He, was, he held it in his pocket, the whole ceremony, to the point where afterwards he showed me he had a little ring-sized bruise on his leg. He was pushing it so close to his leg. You know, this is something I'd spent a lot of money on. I'd spent a lot of time preparing for. And yet buying that ring and, and spending all that money, giving it away was actually such a greater joy for me. And this is, this is somewhat of the main message of this parable. You see, that when you see the joy of the kingdom placed before you, you'll give anything to get it. But there is another application that I think Jesus wanted his hearers to hear, and for us too. If you look at both of these parables, you will notice that the people, upon finding a treasure, go and sell all that they have to buy it. In John 14, Jesus speaks to his disciples about something similar. He told them, In my Father's house there are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now this confused the disciples because they didn't know where Jesus was going or what he was doing or how, and if they didn't know that, how on earth would they find him? But Jesus knew exactly what he was about to do. Jesus knew that in order to go and prepare a place for his followers, he had to go. And he had to go and sell everything that he had. More than that, he had to go and give everything that he had. His life And he gave his life on a cross. He knew that the price that he had to pay for us was for our sin. And he became sin, the Bible says, who knew no sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Because Jesus died on the cross, the price that our sin demanded was paid for by him in full. And because he was willing to do that, you and I are able to enter that place that he has prepared for us, his kingdom. It's the place where you and I can become citizens of in the here and now, just by, just by believing, just by seeing that Jesus came to earth in the flesh seeing that he died on the cross for you and for your sin and that he rose from the dead so that you might know that there is an eternity, that there is a place that you will be where there is no pain, no sin forever. He's done that for you. But why would God do this? Why would he give up his only son? Well, this is who he is. This is who God's always been. Even in the Old Testament, he told his Israelites how much they meant to him because, he says, you are precious in my eyes and honoured and I love you. And I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. And God has always been willing to give the things of greatest value for those who he treasures. You and I are called to give up our worldly possessions, our everything here to follow him. But Jesus, he was willing to give up his entire life to have you in his kingdom. You're worth that much to him. And as our, as our band comes up, I, just, I want to appeal to you today. If, you're, if you are that person who's checking out Christianity, can I say that today you've actually stumbled upon a treasure in the field? It's not from anything I've said it's what Jesus has has said and done. He's made a way for you to enter his kingdom. He's given you a roadmap of what it looks like to step off that edge and to give your whole life to him because he's done it already for you. Could I ask you just to even just take this moment right now to consider what that might look like? Later on, we're gonna have a, a prayer team up the front who have been praying for you all day today for this moment for you to truly consider what it's like to follow Jesus would you come and pray with them or come pray with me I'd love to talk with you more about that and our prayer team down the front maybe I like some of you where you've been following Christ for a long time and you're just so grateful in this season for all that he's done and all that he's doing Maybe the call today for you is to share that with somebody. Maybe it's with the the person on the tram on the way home. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time now and you know that he's your treasure. You know that he's worthy, but you're just not walking in that joy. I just want you to hear today that Jesus does truly love you no matter what's going on in your life at the moment, whether it's loneliness or depression or rejection, this has been a reminder to you today that He treasures you. He's the hope that will never leave you. I wanna pray for us right now as we respond. Father in heaven, would you... Just speak to us now in this moment. You know exactly where our hearts are at. You know where we're sitting at this moment. And God, I know that you're speaking to some of us here really directly. You might even be shaking up our world a little bit in our seats. I pray, God, that you really would speak to us, that you would use the people in this room and, and on our way home to really encourage us to, that, they, that they might know, Lord, I beg, that they might know that Jesus is worth it all, that he is the treasure worth giving everything for because we can see how much he has given for us. Help us, Lord, to see that. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.